Welcome to the Nonprofit Experience. I'm Sandy Sear, Managing Editor for the Philanthropy Journal. In this episode, we hear from former colleagues Stan Holt, who's a Senior Advisor with Partners for Impact, and Ryan Furman, who's the Executive Director of Families Moving Forward. I'm Stan Holt, and I am a Senior Advisor for um, Partners for Impact, which is a company of a colleague of mine. Um, after 12 years, left United Way. Um, I've been in the nonprofit sector for 28 now. Um, and, you know, it's been interesting, this whole process of looking for a job um, and consulting and trying to make that decision. It's really interesting to see that there's not a lot of, what I would say, senior management positions, if you will, in the sector that are not an executive director and then other people have said, you know, start the consulting business. And so here I am. Were you open so. to going back to being an executive director? Well, I've been there and done that, and you know that story. <laughs> so do you want to introduce yourself? Yep. So I'm, my name is Ryan Furman. I'm the director of a, a nonprofit in downtown Durham called Families Moving Forward. We um, work with families experiencing homelessness. Um, there has to be a, at least one parent, at least one child, and um, we basically have a 21-room shelter for families, and we provide a service called aftercare when families move into their own apartments to kind of make sure that they maintain that housing. And um, Families Moving Forward was created from a merger between an organization called Genesis Home, which you led for, for, for many years, uh, and another organization called Durham Interfaith Hospitality Network. So um, so my experience with Genesis Home goes back to 1999 when, mm-hmm. when you were the director and hired, you. And, and hired me, you know, <laughs> wish upon a star kind of deal. And, um, and look what happened. Yeah, look what happened. So, you know, a couple of years of graduate school and then, you know, came back as, as Stan was, you know, as you were departing to for, for United Way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a, a crazy trip, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, have, have had, you know, a really good experience of the organization. And, and honestly, I think for me, a large part of why I wanted to be a part of the organization in the first place and why I came back was really, you know, d- due to your leadership. And well, I thought thanks. you did a great job of creating, a, you know, a family atmosphere on the mm-hmm. staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be a part of it and, you know, have, uh, you know, have tried to model some of what I do, you know, after, you know, your leadership back, oh, way back story. in the olden days. <laughs> Um, you know, as you were talking, I was, I, I, um, was thinking about one of the conversations that we had probably six or seven years ago where you were like, I don't know if I'm going to be there longer. What do I do? Right. So, you know, there's that place when, and I experienced this too, as an executive director, you're like, uh, been there, done all the work now. And what's next? And oftentimes in the sector, we don't know what we're going to do next because, you know. You're so in the moment of what you're doing, it's hard to. That and, like, you have to go away, it feels like, Mm. in order to, there's no, like, what's your career path in the sector? Sure. Right? And on some level, I've been kind of thinking, I've been. uh, You're there. Career sector process in, is big in my head. Um, but I remember the conversation we had and I, you know, it's like, what did, what did I say? I said something like find something new and then delegate everything else. 
And what'd you do? You went ahead and merged two organizations, right? So my question is, was that the attempt to really kind of find something new for the work? Yeah. I th- and stay where you are? Yeah. I, I, th- I think, you know, at a certain point, as a fairly young ED, you know, I, I, I you know, I really felt like I wasn't being valued. And a large part mm-hmm. of that was just, the, you know, the, the board. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really felt like, um, you know, one of my frustrations with, you know, with some of the volunteers that, w- that we have, and I see this dynamic play out over and over again, is that, you know, the, there's a, a need for the organization, but then the volunteer has their own needs. And oftentimes if, the, if there's not a good match, then, then the volunteer walks away and there's never kind of a, you know, a, a conversation about, you know, this isn't working for me, you know, let's, let's figure something out. And I think I, I felt like I owed, you know, the board and the organization, you know, the, the opportunity to kind of have that conversation of, you know, this is where I am. That this is these are the things that I, I that aren't working for me. Let's maybe have a conversation about if we can figure out you know some kind of you know solution or um, some ideas that might address you know some of some of those concerns. And mm-hmm. so you know I remember you know that board meeting very well. And it was you know I feel like ninety nine point nine percent of the time in direct service work you're you're advocating for other people. And and I was right. very conscious of this is about me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in, a, in a basic way, that's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, and so, but I, I kind of worked through it and I really felt like the board, you know, kind of heard me and that some things at a basic level change where, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and let's, you know, let's go. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think back to that conversation about, you know, the work evolving and kind of new things and, and at different times and, you know, it's been, you know, I came back and, you know, March of 2005. So, mm-hmm. you know, over 13 years mm-hmm. as, as ED, you know, during that kind of, you know, period, there have been different new things that have really consumed me. So, um, as you were leaving, I think getting the independent living program that was serving young people aging out of foster care and, and kind of getting that program off the ground, contracting with Department of Social Services in Durham for this group of folks. And based on the data, this was, you know, anywhere from 10 to maybe 20 young people, you know, per year, um, you know, the foster parents, you know, no longer, you know, receiving payment, didn't want them in their custody. Many times these kids, times these kids are still in school or, you know, working part time. They needed, you know, housing, supportive services to kind of transition to, you know, adulthood, really. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, really critical need that that was certainly a, a big thing. And then, you know, after that, I think, um, you know, the, the reality of what we did at Genesis Home was long-term shelter. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we could see the writing on the wall from the federal government and the Department of Housing and Urban Development that that was not going to be funded for very long. And so you kind of had, I had this sense of, you know, I don't want to be the last guy making wagon wheels mm-hmm. and, um, you know, trying to figure out how can we evolve our model mm-hmm. and continue to receive, you know, get the funding that we need to, to be sustainable. And, you know, that that really kind of led to the, to the merger place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can, um, you know, work together, expand our base, kind of add the, the volunteers that were coming from Durham Interfaith that had been hosting families in local congregations, We'll get them in into the church. They'll provide the program. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get them into the shelter. They'll provide that programming in the shelter. We'll have an you know additional base of support. We'll have you know expanded programming. We'll you know shift to a, a housing first model and you know the the education for both the staff and the board around housing first and you know how impactful that is when you you know kind of have that um, you know evidence based approach and that 
you see what happens with folks' employment outcomes, their health and wellness outcomes, substance abuse, kids' educational attainment. Mm-hmm. I, I think that if you you know were looking blind at okay, this is the readiness approach, this is the housing first approach, these are the outcomes. I, I think the vast majority of folks in our community would say we need to have a housing first approach. And I think since we started that conversation, probably you know 2010, you know the 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 sector around you know transitional housing and shelter really has moved in that direction. It's just you can't deny the the data that's been replicated over and over again. So you know, that's the funny thing about being here this long. It's like I can remember when we had those first housing for a dear God, we had some views to overcome. Nobody believed housing first because we yeah. started that conversation. Yeah. In 2004 or so, before I left Genesis Home, and here it is, 2018, and it's finally happening, and it's a good model, but we don't have the affordable housing on the back end, right? I mean, or the services in the housing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's a big one. So, but I can remember those first years about, I don't know why I'm stuck on make, how hard an executive executive director's job is but I can remember those first conversations and we would have those conversations in public and people who I thought knew better were like oh no you can't give people their own housing until you teach them how to manage their money until you teach them how to you know get over their drug addiction and until you teach them and I you know it just felt so patronizing at the time right and um, I, has that changed? I mean, you know, I, I well, think you know, it, I think it know. has changed a little bit on our. It's changed significantly on our board. You know, now uh-huh. whether, now I, I do but think that educating that. the larger community, you know, is is an ongoing effort, and and I think in my mind, you know, the re, the transitional housing or longer term shelter, mm-hmm. you know, relies on that readiness model, and I and I feel like that the the that readiness term. Is almost like a sh- is really a shroud for paternalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I and, and it's like I, I know better than you, and you need to get over this series of benchmarks to show to me that you're you know ready to be housed. And and I remember vividly in you know we had a, a staff meeting um, with some, you know some of our partner agencies. You know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about our collaborative work. I'm, I'm sure. Um, around family homelessness in, in Durham, but there were you know, partners from, you know, some of our strongest partners that, that we work with in doing this work. And, you know, I said something which I've, I felt to be true and continue to feel to be true is that, you know, when you say that someone isn't ready for housing, you're basically saying they deserve to be homeless. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the ro- half the room freaked out sure. and half the room was applauding. And, and it was, and it was, you know, I mean, and this is, this, these are the right, folks right. that are doing the work. Right, right, right. So, you know, it, it, it is, you know, an ongoing battle when you, you, you've got to be able to kind of identify some of those biases that you have. And I feel like many folks on the direct service side continue to kind of have some of those paternalistic, you know, biases that, you know, that potentially hold people back from being successful. You know, there's such a renewed interest in equity work. Yeah. Right? Sure. And when I hear you say that, it's like, well, that's not an equitable way to think about people. Mm -hmm. If we're, right, regardless of race, gender, class, whatever, there's still an equity issue that's, like, there. Sure. And if people are saying you're not ready, uh, who are they to judge, right? I mean, that's that's a real... 
so I want I get, huh. I've never it, thought it, about it. I'd also I say sometimes I sometimes I worry and and you know this is you know that that sometimes if if the the direct service worker looks like the person right. being helped right. that they feel like it's more valid to have you know those those opinions about readiness and you know that that's we we we've felt sometimes more judgment from right 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 you know, our own staff well yeah 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 I remember that. And, and, you know, what uh -huh. I've seen consistently, and I feel very comfortable saying yeah, this, yeah. is that when, you know, our guests, you know, these, these, you know, these parents feel judged, mm -hmm. that's not a great dynamic in, in what should be a helping, you know, you know environment. Yeah, you yeah. Know? That's not the vibe we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and it's really, I mean, I hate to say it, but the donor community is that way, too. Right? I mean, there's definitely some I of mean, that. I mean, you know, the number of times... <laughs> You would just shudder the number of times I'd hear that stuff at when we were doing United Way presentations at companies and corporate folks and even volunteers that think they're doing good by going and helping and just this whole paternalistic piece and it's like wow we do we do live in some divided world that that has not I mean, in some level it has to do with politics but in other ways it's not it's just a wow you know kind of thing. Um, God, how are we going to change that? Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, that that's the question. You know, how are we going to gonna change that? What, when you, you brought up the racial equity work, and when you look at the outcomes yeah. across multiple systems, I mean, to me, it's un undeniable. Yeah, yeah, that's but, true. But, you know, for me, you know, someone that considers themselves a, a manager, mm -hmm. the question then is, like, well, what do you do about it? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, at least in our community in Durham, and even on right. a national level, we're struggling with, mm -hmm. you know, well, well what, what do we do about it? Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't know the answer. I was hoping you did. So, so I guess I, you know I'm I'm curious with your career change. You yeah, know, yeah. Know, knowing that maybe executive director position, you know, been there, done that. So, yeah. what were some of the things that you were looking for? You know, that would kind of check the boxes for what I want in my next you know position iteration. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I've really been thinking a lot about is, you know, being at this age, being at the this part in my career, having been a development director, having been an executive director and a funder, right? It's like probably the only thing I haven't done is public policy work, which would this would kind of create an interesting opportunity to learn there. But I'm just... One of the things that I really like right now is I've got a couple of different projects and I've got two or three in the hopper with the Partners for Impact. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, isn't it interesting that I'm getting to do this project, which is a DOT project. I'm getting to work with the Capital Area Workforce Development Board on youth-related stuff. I'm thinking about doing a strategic plan for an organization and the diversity of those projects is far more exciting to me than doing a job where I might get to do one of those projects as part of my work, mm. right? Or So that's been really um, good to think about, that whole... And partly because even in the work I was doing at United Way, if there was a new project that came in our direction, I was always the one to say, okay, I'll take that on, cause, right? And it's kind of like, how do you keep your work fresh? Mm -hmm. 
It just goes back to that. How do you keep it fresh? Um, And so that's, I think, one of the checklists. Um, The other thing that I'm really learning is the whole um, 40 years I've been working for someone else. Pretty much. Even as a director, sure. you're working for somebody else, Just right? Bunch of bosses. Right, bunch of bosses. But, you know, the you get employer employee health, the company pays for the taxes, all that stuff. And you just have a different relationship with work. And I didn't realize. I mean, I, I, mean, I told you this is going to be an adjustment, but I didn't realize how big this adjustment is, right? Because it's really, wow. I mean, I just step back and I'm still in the middle of it in some ways. Um, how is it that I, right, whoa, whoa, wait, you know, and I have free time during the day, so that's nice, um, and at the same time, oh, right, I'm learning how to, I don't get a paycheck every week, or every other week, so I'm figuring out that piece, figuring out all the taxes piece, figuring out all the other stuff, which is okay, um, but it's really, really different mm-hmm. after 40 years of working, you know, for other folks yeah. in some way. Um, so that's uh, uh, that's not part of the checklist, but it's an interesting talk about keeping your job fresh. Um, I'm learning so much about that work, too. So, so I'm hearing you say, you know, it, it's it's clear, clearly very different to be your own boss versus, you know, have, have a boss or, or multiple or bosses. bosses. But what right. I, you know, I'd also be curious about, you know, how... You know, how are you feeling about those those differences? I mean, is it a mix of good and bad? Is it mostly good? Is it mostly bad? Are you still just knee deep in it? I'm still knee deep in it, right? Yeah. See, I'm, I'm I won't. Somebody told me the other day that that it probably would take me longer than six months to really kind of get my and, and I kind of figured that too. It'll probably take me a whole year to kind of figure out this cycle of what, how this is going to work, right? Um, but it's number one. It's scary. It's different. But number two, the po- that's the fun part, is I've had this ability to think about possibilities, right? The possibility of, and, and the diversity of the work mm-hmm. um, is just incredible, right? And I think that's the interesting part about our sector, right? When we think about the nonprofit sector as a whole, there are a host of diverse things that you can do. Sure. Um, you just have to look for them um, and create them in some way. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I wonder, you know, going to, you know, kind of a, a consulting position, you know, I think it's different because you're, you're, you're basically trying to make a client happy, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want them to be satisfied with whatever you know, project you're working on, annual, annual plan, you know, mm-hmm. annual report, what, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I guess where, you know, does, does that mean if they're happy that, that, you know, that that works for you or what, I guess I'd be kind of curious, you know, what, what's your metric for knowing that you're su- successful other than that? The, okay. Other than, other than that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is what you're asking. Yeah. That, that's, that's right, right, internal right, right, to right, you. Right, right, right. Quite honestly, am I enjoying the work? Right. I mean, this project that we're doing with Capital Area um, Workforce Development Board, I'm actually getting to do, you know, youth focus groups. Right, so I'll be doing frontline conversations with these young people, which I've always loved, and I d- it is funny how stuff circles back, you know, because as you were telling the story of the, of the, that transition youth thing, yeah. I'm like, oh dear God, here I am still, 
like loop that back into work at United Way, and here I am looping it into the work as a consultant. Um, so there's something there, right? Sure. About okay, what's what's this stuff that I'm supposed to do with opportunity youth in the in the world? So that's been in, that was interesting to hear that story and remember because I can sit there and remember the first young woman that walked into Genesis Home, and I can remember her biological mom signing a piece of paper that I had no clue if it would hold up in court or not. She signed that young woman's life over to the organization. Because she, was she under 18? Was that the, Yes. Yeah. And it was just sad. Um, that part was sad, right? Just that whole, like... What I also knew was that I was excited because this young woman had a chance in some ways um, that she didn't have with her mom in that moment, right? So anyhow, so I come back to the fact that it needs to be meaningful and it needs to have some sort of long-term impact in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I'll be watching for, right? So will I, is the work meaningful? to the organization or to people that the organization serves or whatever. So that'll be um, an important measure of success for me. Um, And then, you know, yeah, does it make me happy? So, I mean, mean, you know, it's like, does it? Um, So, who knows? challenges that I see is that, you know, we're like gerbils on a wheel when it comes to fundraising, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, yeah. you know, ev- every year. And, you know, I do think that when you've got, you know, organizations, w- you know, kind of working together to make, you know, significant grants potentially over mm-hmm. multiple years and potentially saying, okay, you know, we, we love what you're doing. You know, what, what, what else would you like to do or mm-hmm. what, what, what other gap do you see, you know, in your community or at the system level that we can, that we can help you fill? Those are really exciting mm-hmm. conversations to, to, to have. So I, I think there's tremendous potential if things continue in that direction. Well, and, you know, I'm also, it's not only just the philanthropic organizations as funders that mm-hmm. need to be, it's the government too, right? And your example of early childhood education who funds the services for early childhood? Mostly the government. Mm-hmm. Philanthropy doesn't have the influence. So what if government were to exercise its elbows and muscles and say, hey, let's think about this systematically and do it a little different than the competition that we usually create? And, the, you know, what, what, what would happen if that occurred? And then what would happen if the private sector did something, right? Um, anything, anything, right? <laughs> well, it goes into the. So I was. So we were talking about this a little bit before, where the private sector's role in philanthropy has largely been as donors, as volunteers, um, and as people who give things away, right? Serv- services or or things, even material stuff, um, in kind stuff, right? So. What if we threw that out the door and said, do something different? What could that be? Um, and I don't know the answer to that, right? I mean, we, you know. You know, I, 
you know, I, I think for many nonprofits and, you know, families moving forward included, I mean, you, you're at some level, you're kind of happy just to get your foot in the door and, and get anything, right? I mean, if, if you, you, you know, if it's volunteers, you're kind of hoping that maybe that leads to a larger gift. You get a larger gift. It's like, okay, great. You know, yeah, but like how much that, are you perpetuating the cycle there? That, that, that That's that's right, right. But, you know, that's, I also think it's a chicken or an egg. <laughs> who, the, who, who created right? cycle? Right. But, you know, I, we, we, we've started, there's an interesting, uh, there's a group um, that we've been working with very closely called Weatherby Healthcare that has kind of started, you know, with, with some significant volunteering, you know, the, the, the gentleman that's kind of been le leading those efforts, you know, kind of introduced us to, you know, that they've got a, a foundation and, you know, going back to some of the needs that, that we see, you know, for our guests, we, we've kind of, even though our case management staff is, you know, very well educated, everybody has MSWs, we really haven't had clinical expertise in-house to kind of work uh. with. The, the, the families and children and mm -hmm. you know because of our system level work and the fact that we have you know family diversion in Durham meaning that you know easier to serve families don't come to the shelter harder harder you know everyone in the shelter has basically got a disabling condition substance abuse right, right, right. you know or multiple d disabling conditions and, and many times the, the the kids have been you know traumatized by mm -hmm. the, the housing instability so we basically you know taught Weatherby that they you know they kind of gave us the parameters but you know, we've got a you know a part-time position that's a family counselor with you know clinical expertise that works with both parents and and the kids trying to kind of work through some of the stuff that, that we're seeing that we haven't ever really had capacity for and the the challenge that that we've seen you know most often with the kind of the children's needs but you know sometimes with the parents a lot of these organizations say, you know, come to us. We work nine to five, Monday through Friday. Right, right, right. Well, you know, right. it's like if you have, if you're running a community-based program, like mm. you need to be working after five. Yeah. You need to be able to do, to, yeah. to do weekend stuff, or else the folks that that you're yeah, you know, yeah. claiming to serve are going to lose their jobs to, right. to to you know take part in your services. So this whole move of kind of you know having you know certain essential things done on site, whether that's by your organization or with strategic partners. You know that that's been a deliberate thing for for us that we think you know has a has a ton of potential, especially as it just kind of relates to the early interventions and, and kind of a two generational approach with with working with young people. And do you think that that's um, I mean, I see that stuff even in the nonprofits, the nine to five stuff. Yeah, that's you know, I mean, there is some flexibility depending on who your partners are and how much you can like. <laughs> come on, guys, come over here at night. Yeah. Um, but. You see it with all the sectors, right? You see it with government. You see it with certainly the public you, you know, sector, and you see it with the private sector. And this is the hard part, right? We want to think systemically, but when we are working in these collaborative partnerships, the thing that I keep going back to that was successful in Wake County, in particular, with the young people aging out of foster care that we worked with, was we really were intentional at putting the client in the center of the system. Multiple agencies could interact in different ways. And when we really did that, it required the organizations to adjust their programs just a little bit. Not so much, it wasn't so much a shift in mission per se, but sometimes it was a shift in, it was the delivery of services, but a shift in the Methodology? Is per, the people that they served, right? Okay. So in particular, I'm thinking about um, families um, together in Wake County where they knew rapid rehousing and transitional housing for families. And we asked them to shift a little bit, and they did, and were successful at it for a while. Um, 
but we got to have that ability and willingness to flex a little. Um, when we put, and we have to flex outside of our normal program. And I don't know that we do that very well. You know, so, you know, what we say in, in Durham around the family stuff is that, you know, it, you know, sometimes we, you know, it's our belief and in, in kind of for some of the feedback we've gotten that the, the guests sometimes have no idea which agency is, is, is working with them around a specific need, right? That, right? So they might be at Urban Ministries, you know, working with, you know, one of our case managers or, you know, someone from Rapid Rehousing and Housing right, for right, New right. Hope is in the shelter, you know, working, right. you know, we're trying to get someone housed. And, and to me, that's kind of the ideal. Yeah, the, right. the, you know, the needs are, needs are getting met, but it's not like you need to go get in a car to go, go to different agencies. places. Exactly. You know, it, it, and, and I think that the, the real challenge is, you know, I'm one of those folks that believes that if you've got, you know, the right process yeah, yeah. and are deliberate about process, that that's going to lead to the, the you know, the, the outcome that you're shooting yeah, yeah. for. And, you know, I, I think communication in and of itself is is just an ongoing need for any organization, but it becomes even more heightened when, you, you know, when you're working across potentially multiple agencies, mm -hmm. serving Absolutely. the same family. And, and that is where I think sometimes the, the breakdown happens, where you have to be constantly deliberate about communicating around some of those and things. And that was, we'll go back to that too, is because, what happened was that it was clunky communication to start with, mm. but it got more efficient. But right as yeah. as the agencies started trusting each other yeah. and listening, imagine that listening to each other, they started like really being able to serve and shift their processes a little bit. Thank you for listening to the nonprofit experience. TNE is a project of the Philanthropy Journal. Our managing editor is Sandy Sear. Our graduate editor is Kristen Gollihue. Our graduate assistant editor is David Mueller. And our communications assistant is Haley Jones. This episode was produced by David Mueller, who also wrote our theme music. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at philanthropyjournal.org. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Nonprofit Experience and subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.